Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Center Stand, the Motorcycle Industry Podcast. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests. We're going to dive right into it. Our motorcycle industry friends, Johnny Campbell, 2018 Off-Road Motorsport, Motorsports Hall of Fame inductee, uh, is joining us, as well as Jeff Schultz, sales associate from, from uh, Storm Lake uh, Honda in Iowa. Uh, Jeff, I'm sure you're going to make it into some Hall of Fame at some point, perhaps, uh, you know in the Storm Lake, uh, Iowa, uh, uh, dealership hallway there, but I promise you, you're going to make it. Okay. So keep your chin up. I want to welcome both of you guys to center stand. Uh, we appreciate your time. Say hi to the audience out there. Hello. Hey everyone. Uh, yeah, welcome. And, uh, we're really excited to, uh, to be here and, and thanks for inviting us. We're really stoked. Thank you, Johnny. Jeff, you want to say hi to the people? Yeah, just, uh, Welcome. I'm glad to be a part of this. Well, here's a little background on our two guests. If you don't know the name Johnny Campbell, you have not watched off-road videos. He's a 11-time uh, scorer, Baja uh, 1000. Uh, he's got 11 uh, uh, titles, I should say, and an incredible 17 Baja 1000 wins. Um, I flew to Cabo once, and that was grueling. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Johnny raced all the way down the thousand uh, uh, odd miles uh, uh, into that, and I want to uh, thank him for his time. Uh, so he's one of the top development riders and has had a huge role with uh, Honda motorcycles off-road uh, products, including XR 600, 650s, uh, the CRF 450X, and the new RX, and uh, and of course the rally machine. Uh, Jeff Schultz uh, joining us here is a, a sales associate at Storm Lake Honda. It's a small town dealership. However, it's amongst the top 50 Honda dealers nationally and one of the highest volume dealers in the Midwest. So that uh, don't uh, dismiss ability here uh, because of the scale of the town. It might not be Los Angeles, but we're talking about some significant impact on a community. Um, so we want to thank uh, these guys for uh, joining us, uh, and uh, we're going to dive in. Um, Johnny, I got a couple of questions. I'm going to kickstart with you, um, and Jeff will come to you in, a, in just a minute here. Uh, but Johnny, uh, King of Baja, it's an honor to have you on our podcast. Um, you've got uh, so many titles and 17 wins. Uh, for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of background on the racing aspect um, of your history uh, and shed a little bit of light into that integration into American Honda these days. Wow, sure. How how long do we have here on this thing? We got like, oh yeah, hey, hey. this is this is not the winners <laughs> podium at Baja where you're going to get to you know handle this the entire time, buddy. Well, but uh, give us the elevator pitch. How about that? Yeah, well, um, you know. I was introduced to motorcycles through my father. He rode and raced and we'd go on weekend camping trips to the desert and, and, and things like that. And I um, was fortunate enough to be a SoCal kid that, you know, lived at the beach, surfed, had all that. But, you know, a lot of weekends we spent the time in the desert and enjoying our motorcycles and, and that adventure aspect. And so I started racing around the age of 13 and I was riding like uh, 
Grand Prix in a in the West Coast, a Grand Prix is considered a, a race that has like a motocross track with some off-road racing or some off-road areas, some pavement. Um, so I started, grew up riding these in, in a club called SRA, Southland Racing, and, you know, grew to, uh, I was about my late teens and I was introduced to Baja and I went down pre-running with, uh, uh, who, a guy named Craig Adams who became my uncle because I was obviously going with Denise and um, took me pre-running and I was 17 years old and just fell in love with Baja and the, and the desert and that incredible journey and the long history that the Baja 1000 has and um, so I was really fortunate to make the right steps and kind of be in the right place for um you know, to be noticed and have results that uh, were good enough to get noticed at the early age of 21. And, uh, you know, so I was uh, basically when I came into like a light of American Honda, I was racing Honda motorcycles and that was around 1991. And I had been talking to uh, a fellow named Bruce Ogilvy, who was you know, pretty world renowned through the Honda system. And he has, uh, you know, has many Baja titles also. And he took me under his wing when I was 21. And, um, you know, I spent a 17 year mentorship underneath Bruce and he showed me, you know, how to test, how to set up bikes, how, what the day in and day out rigors of, uh, off-road racing entailed and what it took and, um, race, race tactics and strategy and logistics and so much that goes behind uh winning races like the Baja 1000 that you know it's like you kind of put it on a ratio of like there's 40 percent logistics and the other part might be the talent <laughs> right, so, right right but but he taught me everything I knew about how to win races and it was an incredible journey. Uh, Bruce, um, unfortunately passed, uh, back in 09, uh, he mm -hmm. developed a can cancer and stuff. And so we lost him and it was a real, you know, real tough time for us all, but he had groomed me to take the Honda off-road racing program. And, you know, so we won, you know, I won basically 11 Baja 1000s underneath him. And then as a, team coordinator and and manager team owner you know i was able to bring my team to another six uh baja 1000s and um you know which led us to a record of 17 and um so yeah and you know that's 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 just a little bit of background about about the racing and um you know that that's grown into now a global aspect of um uh, the Dakar Rally and my, and right. my help with uh, and helping HRC with uh, with that program. Well, I'm going to pry you for some information, uh, you know, uh, on product stuff that you have clipboards full of awesome stuff. I know that. And of course, you're not going to tell me anything because you work for Honda and you want to keep that job. <laughs> but I'm still going to ask the <laughs> questions uh, in a little bit. I want to turn around to Jeff here. Jeff, um, you got into motorcycling also from racing. Uh, and that brought you into a power sports career. Would you give us your uh, your uh, sort of uh, minute minute bio, if you would? Yeah. So pretty much along the 
you know, same lines as, as Johnny, just without all the, you know, out all the credentials, right? But um, started out, my dad was racing, um, and so then him and I would go riding on Sundays. I didn't get into racing until I was probably eight, nine years old. Um, raced a reading cross professionally for a couple years. Uh, I think I scored like a 30-second finish in a moto and 125 pro sport. Down Heck Lake. yeah, man. Um, <laughs> you know, Perfect. My dad's in the Iowa Motocross Hall of Fame. Um, but pretty much it just started out to be uh, um, family, um, going out riding, just kind of hanging out, um, and then uh, eventually getting into racing. And, and uh, yeah, here we are. Then my dad's owned probably, uh, I think, three, three different dealerships. Um, he's owned this one for 41 years. Uh, this is the only one that we, that we own. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of how we got, got going. So let's dive in a little bit to what what is it that makes Storm Lake Honda um, a unique dealership uh, and, and you feel gives you the success? Uh, you know, keeping in mind that the bulk of our audience are motorcycle dealers and people who are, you know, more on the industry side, not necessarily consumers. So so uh, peel the onion a little bit for us and, and talk to us about what makes Storm Lake Honda in Iowa uh, so unique. Um, I mean, we're in a town of 12,000 people, so everybody has to drive uh, pretty much uh, 90, a 90-mile 90 radius uh, to come to us. Um, you know, we kind of, it's a family-run dealership. Uh, he has done sales for forever. I was pretty much born here, um, setting up motorcycles, counting parts, uh, working on the parts department um into sales uh and then he is he became a service manager for a little while so i mean basically it's a you know family run um you know where a handshake and uh hey i'll take that i'll be there on wednesday still means something um you know we run every deal as if we were the ones on the other side it's not, mm -hmm. it's not about making money at the end of the day so i if reading between the lines, you guys are still very much embracing that traditional sense of mom and pop dealership, literally, where it's uh, uh, you are a hub of activity for that local area, not necessarily um, not necessarily leaning in on a, on a larger dealer group network to give you the answers for what you need. you got to deal with it yourself. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it's, it's 100 uh, percent family ran. Um, my dad still works in service during the summer. My sister-in-law uh, handled our books. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, Johnny. Um, you know, thirty odd years in the uh, in the motorcycle uh, business, and certainly having to deal with uh, uh, dealers and doing that work, and then working directly with the uh, with the OEM side of these things. Um, you know, we're in, we're in a uh, era now where we've got sort of power sports groups that are starting to buy up volumes of uh, dealers and uh, different franchises and things like that. Can you speak to your perspective of how you've seen things change in, uh, in these last three decades? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been, uh, there's a lot of change in the last few decades here and, and, you know, you've seen, uh, some areas where it's been a real struggle for for the mom and pop um, dealerships and stuff, and then you know all these the big dealerships and stuff have been able to kind of hang on and, and curtail and, and keep going. And 
And so I've seen like, you know, those dealerships kind of grow and not really shrink, but it's been, I think some of it's been a tough road for the smaller ones. And, uh, you know, it sounds like, uh, Jeff's family has a lot of experience with, uh, with that. And, uh, on that side, you know, me coming from the, uh, the race and OE side, um, you know, I don't have as much experience at the dealership side, but, um, you know, I've definitely seen some huge growth and, and some of the bigger places, you know, out here. And, um, but I've also sadly seen some of them dry up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's pretty interesting when you think of some of let's just we'll get outside of motorcycling for a minute and we'll think about some other like consumer goods areas but i remember when i was a kid i used to go into uh true value hardware in glencoe illinois where i lived at the time and uh they had a fishing section um because we were right on lake michigan there and so you know here's a hardware store that had a fishing section and now i'm pretty sure there's a cabela's within you know some reasonable distance and and that little hardware store wouldn't be able to handle that sort of thing. But it's given a lot of um, a lot of changes for uh, consumer options, right? So consumers have different ways to purchase now. Uh, and and Jeff, can you speak to, um, you know, you certainly have seen the growth of these larger power sports networks. You guys managed to hand on uh, or uh, hold on, excuse me, uh, and have a significant impact within your community, but still registers an important um, dealership within the Honda network. Can you speak a little bit to like, you know, how you guys fit in, in these changing times, if you will? Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're in the Midwest, so it's not near as fast paced as, you know, West or East. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we just haven't really changed much. I don't know. I guess our reputation goes a long ways, you know, where again, it just falls back on, um, a handshake and, uh, you know, tell me you'll be here. And, um, that's really all it takes. You know, it's interesting. You bringing that stuff up is that, uh, as, I'm, I, I now live in central Texas, and there's there's a, a number of larger dealerships in the area here. And um, there is sort of a mix of that thing where it's a little bit, uh, you feel like you're a little bit on the outside compared to a mom and pop. Um, but uh, there's the advantages of those larger dealerships. Um, can you speak a little bit to, to what you think um, uh, that smaller dealership experience, how perhaps that's something that can be translated into other dealers who are, uh, in larger markets. I mean, what is it that, that sort of gets lost in translation, uh, as we uh, increase the size of dealerships? Well, uh, I mean, you guys, everybody shops for a car, right? So you go to a car dealership and yeah, it's nice to be able to test drive all the brands, um, you know, but I don't have seven hours to sit at a dealership and try to buy a car. A customer walks into our store. Um, I greet them. We figure out what works for them. Um, if they need financing, I, I go from greet to sign the paperwork to loading it up and doing the, the um, walk around and explanation, and then I help them load it. And I follow it from the minute they walk in the door. I'm with that person. Uh, as far as accessories, true. Um, where you go into a larger market and a larger dealer group, 
Um, you walk in, you have a greeter, they tell you where to go, uh, you have a salesperson then that sells you something, then they have to go to a business manager to deal with it, and then they have to go to an office uh, or to uh, finance. Uh, if they need to finance, then they go to somewhere else to uh, sign the paperwork, and then they deal with somebody else uh, that loads them and, and goes over it with them. So, I just think so, so you're, you're speaking largely to that sense of relationship uh, a personal relationship with each customer you have. That's that's the broad thing you're saying. Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. By the end of the day, I know what they're going to do with their dirt bike. That, you know, Johnny and Susie back home are just going to be pumped uh, on their birthday and their friends who just bought one last week. I know them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a relationship, and we, we're with them every step of the way. Mm, that's interesting. Hey, Johnny, when when you think about racing um, and the, the changes – in the environment of racing, there there was you know I used I used to race a, uh, a little bit of road racing in uh, uh, in Central Texas here in the CMRA. Um, I tried racing off road, but I sucked like a Hoover, my friend. Um, and trust me, thirty second place in any race would have been unbelievable for me. Uh, so, however, that said, uh, there was a real like sort of um, uh, Gosh, you know, like that small club aspect, like you really felt like you were part of this extended family um, when you were in uh, in sort of club road racing. Um, is that carrying through currently? Is there still that? I know there's always a sense of community within a paddock, any given paddock. You see the same people. You create that that unity, but but in the three decades of racing, what have been the challenges of like sort of bringing new people in as racing has gotten more and more sophisticated in the last few decades? Well, the the one thing that I'm really good at and what I what I've grown up in is club racing and grassroots racing because. Off-road racing is is very unique because it's it's really an enthusiast sport. So, like, yes, we have we have pro classes and the events and these national events and and regional events, but the basis of the racing is amateurs and and grassroots and that and so with like clubs putting on the event still and, and stuff that, you know, they're not making money doing it. They're, they're there because they're enthusiasts and they're taking mm-hmm. their time and, and putting on the events, you know, um, mostly in the West, that's how it is. And then the East coast uh, off-road races like GNCC, of course it's professionally ran, but they racer also, um, you know, they keep it grassroots because it's for the amateur, you know, also they bring in a professional flavor by the factories you know being there and always being there supporting you know top level riders and stuff so what the important aspect is of like of my position is that you can come at any event that i'm at anyone can come up and ask johnny campbell questions and hey how do i make my crf work better what do you guys mm-hmm. do in your bike you know, here's my daughter, Susie, and she has a one pin and this, and Hey, I got a CRF 250R, you know, how do I make it handle better? So that's the one thing that my position 
uh, with Honda very valuable because I'm in the battle in the, you know, on the ground at these amateur meets that, you know, I'm able to utilize my knowledge of developing motorcycles and all the racing and setup and stuff and, you know, talk to those customers and, and uh, be that connection for, for American Honda and, and um, you know, dealerships and stuff out there. So um, as far as the changes that have occurred, you know, the single biggest change that's, that's happened is the way the media is and mm-hmm. the way, you know, social media has changed our lives and our game and, and on a professional level of, you know, what we have to do, you know, when, when I was racing, it was like, your job is to win. You know, I was brought up, your job is to win. You don't have to be the advertising guy. You don't have to be, you know, the marketing guy or anything. That was somebody else's department or job. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, what's really changed is for the sponsors and for that, you have to go and you have to make your your social posts and you got to talk about this product, that product. It's, you know, for me, it's a, coming from the old school. It's a very big distraction on a professional level because you're one, a safety issue of getting these athletes to focus on what they're out there to do and they're they're risking it, you know, and, but, you know, are they're concerned about, Oh, I better get this photo up for this sponsor or whatever, you know, so right. all that, all that distract, all that distraction is, is changing our, our world and our atmosphere. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it is that distraction. Like it, it, it breaks my heart when, you know, it's like, well, does winning matter? Does staying safe matter? Uh, yeah, but we got to promote these products in order to do what we love to do. So that's the that, I, biggest change that's happening. I see that, and you know, being a being a PR guy in my past with uh, you know competition brands like Aprilia and with heritage brands like uh, you know in Indian and Challenger brands like Victory, that sort of thing. That that uh, ability when when a racer has that ability to. Um, focus in on racecraft when that's important, but understand that he himself or she herself is that brand connected to these other brands that are supporting that, that racer, then, you know, the, the better you are at seeing a big picture that can give you a huge advantage these days. Is that right? It, it and for a career path. Yes. Yeah. And and so it's it's becoming it's become very important on many levels, um, but you know, like I said, me coming from the old school, it's it's a tough pill to swallow of like you know, getting these kids to like focus on their <laughs> what what I think is important. So right. Um, so well, hey, you you and I could probably wear out a couple of chalkboards with uh, some you know old school stuff, right? <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So, Jeff, uh, you know, uh, again, you're in a smaller market. However, social media is global. It doesn't matter if you're in a small market. Or not. How is how is social media and your communication with your customers uh, or maybe even like the way Honda communicates to you, the way you guys learn of new products and things like that? How has that changed like your interaction in the business? It's been a total game changer. Um, you know, media 
you know, we can, uh, I think the last time I looked, we have just over 18,000 likes. Um, I mean, so I'm reaching. Do you, so, so to put that in perspective, you have more likes than you have population. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Mm. Um, you know, but as far as like email blasting, I mean, we can all unsubscribe to those and ignore them and not even open them and whatever. Um, Facebook and Instagram, people are so tuned into that stuff that, um, I mean, yeah, you boost a post, it'll reach 20,000, you know, 25,000 people. And if, I mean, it, it, it's such a low, you know, success rate, I guess, but it reaches so many people and you just become, um, more, more relevant, you know? So I guess like how Johnny was saying, I mean, I know there's supercross riders, you know, that necessarily might not be the fastest, but they do a very good job promoting their sponsors mm -hmm. and they have a huge fan base, you know? So, I mean, I, I think, and then they just continue to get, you know, rides and, and, you know, paychecks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think social media has been huge, uh, especially at the dealership level. And it's so easy to, to just post a picture, you know, you post a picture and that might be something that, you know, a guy from three hours away, four hours away has been looking for. So that's, that's the, th that was the follow-up I was going to ask you is, ha have you seen the radius of your sales increase as you've engaged in social? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I had people driving here from California to pick stuff up. I mean, if we've, I sold a motorcycle uh, to a guy from uh, Louisiana. He's gonna he's just waiting for the snow to melt to come up and get it. You know, so uh, I mean, yeah, it's been it's been huge. Well, I know a couple of buddies from Louisiana, and they're definitely allergic to snow. So I I totally get that. Totally get that. Uh, so so Johnny, as as um, you know, when when you started racing and with your background, it was very sort of Southern California, right? I mean, you have to admit that that that, that was like. That was the world of motorcycling. Riding Baja is not something that somebody from Poughkeepsie, New York, can really, uh, you know, connect with or, or relate to. However, now, as um, as there's been like global reach and global influence, have you seen racing um, off road? particularly in like the sort of the desert Southwest, have you seen that draw people from outside of just the, the typical region you you've lived in? Oh yeah. Like, uh, you know, Baja has always been an attractor for, for folks that are like, you know, even across the globe, you know, uh, we've had guys come down and, and from New York, from Tennessee and, you know, it's, it's like a bucket list type, deal to go and ride Baja or race the thousand or or whatever so you know as as that uh exposure has grown you know you see you see an influx of, of folks like that uh the thousand of course has always been Baja thousand's always been an attractor for globally because it's you know the longest off-road race in the world continuous mm -hmm. you know if you take like the Dakar Rally, of course, the Dakar Rally is longer, but it's a staged event. And right, you so, get to sleep. Yeah, you get to sleep, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so, you know, and also California, Southern California always had that allure from the motocross scene and, and the coolness and all that factor and stuff. And But now that I, you know, personally i've seen racing on all over the country and all over the world that you know man there's a lot of other cool things out there than 
just racing here. <laughs> right, right. So, so I want to get into that with you because of your relationship with Honda and understanding how, in particular, Japanese OEMs might think. What what can OEMs and their respective dealers do to break down barriers of racing? Because to you know, to me as a uh, you know, if I were to imagine myself as a teen teenager right now, it seems like a daunting task, you know, to be to jump a triple and to uh, and 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 to be immediately fast out there and and that sort. Of. So, what is it that uh, um, that brands um, can do to increase the attractiveness of racing in the modern market? Um, well, that that is a very good question, especially this day and age of what we're seeing in, in the power sports industry. And, you know, just from this, even just this last year of, of craziness and stuff going on in our world is that, you know, we've, we've, if you just look at today and now we're, we've had a huge influx of, of sales and, and people that have never thought about buying motorcycles or riding motors, you know, they're buying and, riding going out to the local riding area and you know tons of side by sides and dirt bikes and and it's i've never you know we've all never seen this before and and so um the biggest thing that i think could maybe not as an attraction but what we're going to see because there's a lot of new riders and stuff right now is that we need to have some sort of uh education i think uh education on your environment as far as riding stay in a local riding area or the desert or or that and and also just just skills and safety because you know you get a we've gotten such an influx of of newbies that um they don't know they just go well we can't go play baseball so we're gonna go buy johnny a new dirt bike and we're all gonna get dirt bikes we're gonna go go camping and riding or whatever and then somebody ends up breaking their leg and then you know and having a problem is just because they don't they don't know um they haven't been brought up in a motorcycle uh family or anything like that so so i think there's a big need right now starting now is is education riding classes and and stuff like that could be really important and to keep those people involved and keep them in the sport and make it fun and make it you know keep it safer and and stuff and educating people on safety gear and you know how to ride the motorcycle properly how to maintain it properly and so i think that's all really important right now at this day and age um because there is a lot of uh new folks uh in the industry now so johnny you're you're articulating something that has come up in past center stand uh episodes and that is we cannot look a gift horse in the mouth we had a, a big bump in new ridership because of pandemic reasons. Um, that sold through a ton of 2019 product, a ton of 2020 product, took a lot of people by surprise, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know dealerships have reaped the benefits of that. Um, probably you know riding clubs, certainly the aftermarket has, but as those motorcycles become a year old and you know and maybe they need more maintenance and maybe it's not as fresh an experience and maybe to your point 
baseball camp opens up and there starts to be these other things that you can go do these somewhat familiar things from you know one plus years ago that you used to do um jeff to that point you know what is it that you guys are doing in your uh local neighborhood in your community to sort of maintain the interest of those new riders who have come in through your dealership I uh, just got to create excitement, um, really. So what's really changed, I guess, I mean, there, you know, we were shut down in Iowa for a little while. Um, our governor was a lot more lax than others. Um, but uh, last year, there's a, a racetrack, um, a, an owner, Tony Wink, that I'm very good friends with, and he partnered mm-hmm. up with uh, Justin Brayton, who's a good friend of mine and a professional supercross rider. But they partnered up uh, for the Justin Brayton shootout. And this race normally is the biggest in Iowa um, at 250 riders. But what they have is uh, practice Thursday, Friday, you know, and then a little bit Saturday and then a race on Sunday, right? You've got to figure it out to keep everybody there. But you see half of the attendance go away when it comes race day. There's a lot more, you know, this year they had 650-some entries on on race day which is just mind-blowing but but yeah i mean the the whole idea is is to keep people involved but you got to keep the you know you got to keep the quarter shiny you know what i mean like the shine wears off there's other stuff to do but you just got to uh create ride days um which we haven't been able to do last year um, but we intend on on doing some stuff this year uh partnering up with some tracks and we do track sites to support ourselves um you know so i'll go to the races or we'll have you know representative go to the races and and uh, on a local level, kind of be there and, um, yeah, just help out the Honda riders. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, that's a, uh, an interesting point of, now we'll get into bigger cultural issue here, of participation trophy versus winning. So, Johnny, I may have just like thrown a thrown a match onto the onto the uh, gasoline here, but uh, but that there's there is um our old school sensibilities is like you know first second third place is definitely you know i mean there's a reason there's a podium right but we know in our in our hearts when we race at a club level or any level that you have respect for anybody who's putting on the gear to go ride uh or or to to compete and they take the same uh green flag they may take a different checkered flag than you but they take the same green flag that you do, and the fact that they lined up to to go do that is a big step. So, where is that balance of like sort of the community of racers versus uh, celebrating, you know, the top five percent who um, who make the uh, the top of the grid? Oh, I I think that you know just. Speaking of uh, my own character and, and stuff is that, and what I've seen through uh, many kids, even even my son, is that, you know, you get those handlebars between your hands and, and you fall in love with the passion mm-hmm. and the passion could, you know, some people have a competitive spirit. And so they want to continue and they want to chase the dream. And it's like when I was a kid, you know, I wanted to be a racer and I, you know, and so that was my passion. Dirt bikes are, are my passion and my dream. And so, you know, I, I, I had that and I developed that. And so I think 
for the young folks and stuff that are, are getting into this. And, and now it's like, sometimes they might may not have that passion. And so I think like uh, Jeff said, it's like keeping, keeping an excitement involved. And that means doing, you know, what can we do to make things uh, attractive to keep, keep, keep riding. It's like, I didn't really need anything to keep riding because I love the freedom so much. And I loved, um, you know, the freedom of riding motorcycles so much that it was like, this is all I want to do every day, 24 hours a day. And I, I'm sure you guys can attest to that. And, um, but I think what's important is, is, uh, here is, you know, having opportunities to go ride and showing, you know the kids the racing and the competition and educating them and keeping it keeping it fun is really important and the the racers that are going to want to go racing they're going to fight for it that's that's in the person and that could be a dream um the ones that want to just race and compete and and be and just do it and they don't care if they win or whatever you know that's that's a different uh mindset so I think we're going to, of course, everybody's different and what their goals are with it. But I think keeping stuff fun and entertaining and having some new, new things once in a while, it's going to help to keep those customers, you know, coming back and, and those guys and the enthusiasts riding and stuff. So it's a challenge for us all for sure. And I, I know that's one of our, that's one of the, the topics here. So. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a main fun. thing. Uh, is I would say that, you know, Johnny, I'm never going to have the perspective of the, you know, the top of a, um, a a podium, you know, looking out, holding the biggest trophy that there is, right? No, that's that's not my skill set, not my world. But when I was right. road racing in Central Texas, um, you know, we were uh, doing some endurance racing and and every now and then we might get like a third place, you know, fourth, fifth. Um and uh, but, you know, generally speaking, we were sitting down there in the in our overall at the end of a, you know, a four, six or eight hour road race. We would be uh, like a tenth. But we knew the team who was at 11th and we knew the team who was at ninth and we knew the guys who were like in our world. And that community is what brought us back. It wasn't necessarily the prospect of me, you know, getting a bigger trophy. But it was just I wanted to see those people again, and I wanted to be on the track with those with that tenth consistently with these other guys. Then I'm probably turning the same lap times, and I'm probably going to be seeing that guy, you know, a pretty fair amount out on the track, right? Um, yeah. And I would I, when I was racing Central Texas, we would have, I mean, Ben Spees and 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 uh, Nikki uh, Hayden, God rest his soul. Um, those guys owe me money because they lapped me so many times. They stole laps away from my road racing. So I'm, I'm I, I guarantee you, they <laughs> <laughs> those families owe me a little bit of money. But, but I, you know, I appreciate that encouragement. Um, without bowing down into just participation trophies, it's about you know, it's about being there and about family. And I hope that our entire industry understands that that participation, you know, is a is a huge part of it. Um, Johnny, I, I want to wrap up your, your section here. I want to talk a little bit about some Honda products. Now, I am in the market 
for what will probably be my last, um, you know, a hardcore dirt bike. I'll call it that. As opposed to a softer dual sport bike or an adventure bike, I've got those things. But, um, you know, that last like sort of single track motorcycle. And I, as I look at Honda products, there it's uh, uh, particularly in the 450 class, there's a lot of dissecting you know, um, uh, the category, there used to be like one 450 and you would modify it to do the thing you wanted to do. Now coming from the factory are a lot of different options. Is that being informed from the consumer base or is that the OEMs telling consumers, this is what you want? Talk a little bit about that process. Well, I, you know, having options, I think was the basis of that. And, you can see it uh, throughout other OEs and stuff is that, you know, we wanted to be able to uh, offer bikes that were, that fit the type of category that you are participating in. And, you know, so that's when we decided to expand the line, the line into building a specific cross country bike, a specific mm -hmm. trail bike, a specific motocross bike. And so, of course, they all share similar characteristics, you know, being in the Honda family and stuff. But, you know, the, the point in is, is, is to kind of target those, those customers of like, well, I'm not a motocrosser, but I'm not just a trail rider. So guess what? I want the 450RX because I sometimes want to race. I sometimes want to trail ride. I may want to go to a track, but I can go to the desert too and ride trails, mm -hmm. you know. So, so we're trying to bridge the gap of, you know, just having a hardcore trail bike, a hardcore motocross bike. And so that's how the line started expanding was to try to, you know, have a category, have categories for multiple uh, uses. So Jeff is where the rubber meets the berm, so to speak. Jeff, is that working for you, having those multiple choices on the showroom floor and having, um, you know, consumers deciding that they're this type of rider versus that type? Uh, yeah, it's been huge. Uh, you get more bang for your buck, right? So Johnny said the RX, but around here, uh, the RL. So mm. you can get on it. You can ride it, you know, 60 miles to the largest off-road park in Iowa. Um, you can trail ride. There's motocross tracks there you can ride and then fill up with gas and come home. So, I mean, the sport has gotten so expensive um, that there's value now in buying a more versatile motorcycle, one that, one that you can ride road or in the desert or on the track instead of just a motocross-specific bike because technology has gotten, you know, so crazy that these bikes are so good that they really don't work if you're, you know, in one discipline and then you're going to go try it in another one. So then when they, when they broaden the range of the, you know, the, of the motorcycles, um, it, it's been a, a huge deal. Well, that's definitely interesting guys. We, uh, you know, I know that I built up, uh, it was a 2005 KTM EXC and I turned it into, that was an off-road only bike. And, you know, in Texas, you can turn it into a dual sport bike and it got built up into various things. At one point it was a supermoto bike. Now it's a 525 dual sport, you know, hardcore bike and stuff like that. And now as I'm looking at the market to buy my next thing, I'm realizing that I can buy it and I don't have to like, 
spend three weeks tweaking it into the thing I want it to be, it's literally going to be the thing I want to be like right off the showroom floor and I can go riding. I can buy it on Thursday and, and go riding on Saturday. So, uh, so kudos to certainly to the Honda team for, uh, you know, blowing out their um, selection of the 450X. Johnny, I will tell you selfishly, I am looking forward to the 450 Dakar version with the straight up tower and all that stuff. All right. So, uh, so put that data point <laughs> in there, you know, tell all Colin and all the boys back at home that, uh, that they got an extra sale in Texas. Uh, if they, uh, yep. if they pull that one off. Right. I'm sure you're tired you're of hearing that. Yep. You're not the only one is what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I was, I was like, man, do I have to buy the, the the 250 that's got the Dakar fairing and marry it to the 450 uh, you know L do I have to do that or is Honda finally going to do that for me so I'm holding on for a little while Funny. but I'm tur I'm turning grayer at the same time man so y'all got to step up this program <laughs> a little bit so at the end of the uh, program we like to ask all of our um, uh, participants in center stand uh, the same question. And, and that is like that golden opportunity to talk to all people uh, at the OEM level and maybe at the dealer and aftermarket level. And if you were to just have their ear for just two or three sentences, what is it that you would want to say to them? And uh, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Um, from your perspective, what is it that you would want to say to the entire motorcycle world at one time? I think the the biggest thing is uh, just to remember that, you know, we sell fun, and it's supposed to be fun first. Um, that's the biggest thing. It's it's supposed to be fun, and, you know, you talk about uh, going to the races, and it didn't really matter how you finished, or it was great to do well, but you wanted to see, uh, you know, your friends on the weekends, and, I mean, that, that was fun. So I just, you know, yeah, just remember that it's supposed to be fun. Excellent. Johnny, back that up. <laughs> wow, that's a tall task. But, you know, I always have to go back to on any Sunday. And, you know, mm. just that exciting time when motorcycles, dirt bikes uh, emerged on the scene and really became uh, something that people wanted to go do in that adventure. And, you know, that that joy, I just have to call it joy. Uh, that joy for adventure and freedom and being able to ride your motorcycle. I mean, I just want everybody to to think about that and keep that um, in their minds when whether whatever they're doing within the, the power sports industry, because that's what it's all about. It's all about, you know, seeking that enjoyment, that freedom to be able to go ride your motorcycle, you know, an adventure. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's the best thing in the world to me. Um, I just encourage everybody to, to keep that type of mindset um, within our industry because that's, that's what it's all about, having a good time. Very well said, Johnny uh, and Jeff. Both of you guys get it. Um, we need more and more of our dealers and those of us involved in the motorcycle industry to uh, remember that this is fun. Remember the amount of inspiration that can happen. Uh, you might start to get a little bit jaded walking into your dealership and seeing all those, you know, headlights and handlebars or those high fenders and and just kind of get used to that. But remember what it's like 
to walk into a motorcycle dealership for the first time and see an entire world of opportunity in front of you is huge. So I want to thank both of our guests today, Johnny Campbell, um, Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Famer, uh, Baja champion. Um, Johnny learned how to count trophies apparently by just counting that's you know all the different trophies that he got over this time and uh, jeff schultz um who's with storm lake honda in iowa and jeff from your story i'm gonna guess that you learned how to count on inventory day when everything in the dealership <laughs> had to be counted right so <laughs> yeah, i've right. i've had to do a little bit of that myself i appreciate both of you guys um sharing your thoughts in the world of motorcycling on center stand today um, for those of you following Center Stand, uh, make sure you follow us on LinkedIn. Um, we got sneak peeks to upcoming episodes, uh, and we're going to keep bringing uh, news and ideas in tactical ways in season two. We want you guys to go home uh, or listen in and, and leave with an idea of what you can do to change things at your dealership or with your brand to have more success. We really want to hear from you. So if you have any topics you would like us to specifically address on Center Stand, reach out to us directly at imspr at informa.com. I will spell that for you. It's letters I-M-S-P-R at I-N-F-O-R-M-A dot com. Uh, and we've got a free e-newsletter. Um, that's coming to an uh, uh, inbox near you. It features articles that dive into our discussed topics um, every week, every couple weeks. We're not going to flood your inbox, but trust us, when, uh, when you get a note from us, it's going to have some relevance for you. You can sign up for that at continuetheride.com. Once again, Jeff and Johnny, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your time. Um, we appreciate your enthusiasm. And uh, someday I hope to meet both of you guys in person on some dusty track, preferably uh, out in Baja. So, Johnny, try not to roost me too bad, okay? Yeah, right on. Great to be here. Thank you very much for, for uh, the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, everybody. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to Center Stand. <laughs>